Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, go to barrykatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard Live from the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival in Canada. Very, very exciting to be up here. Very, very excited for my guest today, Ari Shafir. We're going to have an incredible time. He is one of the most outspoken but unique and special comedians in this business, and you're going to find out why. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you so much for all of your support. It's incredible what's been happening, and it's all because of you, and we can't do it without you, and are very, very grateful. And as I look at my guest, Ari Shafir, and as I always do with all my guests, I look at them and think about what I want to say, and the biggest thing that I think about regarding Ari is the fact that he's a guy who stuck to his guns and did comedy the way he wanted to do comedy. Along the way, there were a lot of people that gave him encouragement, but as he'll probably tell you, there's a lot of people who discouraged him, told him negative things. There's a lot of comics along the way who made his path more difficult. And there were comics along the way, like Joe Rogan, who saw something in him believed in him and gave him a platform that allowed him to show the world his voice and the world has spoken. This guy is something special and something unique and something authentic. And for Ari, the biggest thing that I point to is the work ethic. It's an obsessive work ethic. It's the desire to be on stage as many times as possible and the disappointment and anger when something happens where you can't go on the amount of times per week that you want to in the time slot that you hope to because of various factors which I'm sure we'll talk about today but yet you keep forging ahead and keep pushing and keep putting the work in despite what the world says at the time you're doing it, because when you're starting in this profession, there's not a lot of positive reinforcements. You get the shit kicked out of you on a regular basis. And when I think about Ari and his career, I think about the fact of a guy who believed in himself and never wavered and believed in his voice, and believed in the kind of comedy that he was doing, and was proud of it, and knew that if he could put the time and the work and the effort in, that he had the kind of mind that could write the kind of stand-up 
that would inspire millions of people. The reason why he has no anxiety, I suspect, is the fact that he's not afraid of anybody derailing him because he believes that the things that he thinks about the world of comedy and some of the performers are so true and so powerful and so evident that there's no way that could ever come back to haunt him. And even if it did come back to haunt him, he still knows that he's got his core followers who will follow him from the comedy clubs to the theaters to the podcast to the television specials to Netflix and to his television series. And boy, have they. And so it seems quite evident and probably a reoccurring theme in this podcast is to figure out the work ethic that's going to change your trajectory. Figure out the amount of time that you're going to have to put in to get where you want to go. And when you think you're working too much, work double that amount of time. Work triple. Don't stop believing in yourself. Push forward. Have an opinion. Don't be afraid to share it. If you know and you believe in what you believe in is gospel, then don't be afraid to say it. And if you can figure out those things in your profession, chances are you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Ari Shafir has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Welcome back to Industry Standard. Very excited about today's show with Ari Shafir. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce him. And we're going to have a truly, truly funny, unique, and inspirational time. I know you're going to like this guy a lot. He is truly one of the gems of the Los Angeles comedy scene and the nation. Ari Shafir is a comedian, actor, writer, producer, and podcaster. He grew up Orthodox Jewish and spent two years in a yeshiva in Israel, after which he came back to America to lose his religion and become a stand-up comedian. In 2012, his stand-up album Revenge for the Holocaust went to number one on iTunes and Amazon the week of its premiere. His first hour special, Passive Aggressive, premiered on Chill.com in February of 2013 and on Comedy Central in March of 2015 to rave reviews. Shafir's second hour stand-up special, Ari Shafir, Paid Regular, premiered on Comedy Central that same year. He's also a producer of the television series This Is Not Happening, also on Comedy Central. He also co-hosts the podcast Punch Drunk Sports and is a regular guest on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He wrote and appeared alongside Rob Schneider and Adrian Brody in the film Inappropriate Comedy and in Keeping Up with the Joneses with Zach Galifianakis and Gal Gadot. Shafir performs stand-up to sold-out crowds nationwide and has been featured at a plethora of some of the most respected festivals in the world including Oddity, Moon Tower, Bridgetown, San Francisco Sketchfest, South by Southwest, and of course, the Motherlode, the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, where we're interviewing him tonight. His two-part special, Double Negative, hit Netflix last year and has been getting rave reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, one of the most incredible, unique, authentic, original and outspoken comedians you'll ever know, see, or hear in this world 
of this business. Please welcome my guest today, Ari Shafir. Very nice. If I were to compare human beings to the improv, the laugh factory, the and the comedy store. Yeah. Okay, I like this already. <laughs> if I were to say something, I would say that if the comedy store was a person, yeah. it would be you. Yeah, it was made there. But then again, Louis Anderson started at the comedy store. If I had to identify a comedy club with Louis Anderson, I wouldn't identify his personality with the comedy store. No, right? Weird. The way the Laugh Factory is presented yeah. as a club, it's presented with lights, bright lights from the heavens and from the back of the comic. Even if it isn't per se, when people walk in, the image of the club is the light. In the Laugh Factory? Yes. Yeah, it's bright. It's lit up. When you go in the improv, there's black curtains all around the side. There's some pictures of comedians around. It's been renovated a little bit. Yeah. And it's lit, and you can see the light. And then the comedy store is complete darkness. Yeah. And the thing is, when I look at certain artists like John Heffron, yeah. would probably remind me of the physical image of the Laugh Factory, the light, just straight down the middle, mainstream comedy. The improv yeah. might be somebody, let's say, like Jim Gaffigan. His comedy is down the middle, but his personality sometimes, he's had times in his career of the darkness, but he also has had times of the light. When I sit across from you, you have this Jewish dark night feeling about yeah, you. Very nice. It's very powerful and permeates. And when you walk in a room, people notice. And I want to know if you notice that. No, I do not notice that at all. What do you notice? I don't notice anything. I'm just kind of like walking in a room and hang by the corner. God. <laughs> I don't need people take notice. I'm just kind of like stay out of people's way. Remember the movie Indecent Proposal? Yeah. I never saw it, but those previews were great. <laughs> I mean, I know all about it, right? I know the whole plot. In 20 years, I've heard all about it a thousand times. Oh man! <laughs> did you ever see it? See it? Yes. I did. <laughs> cool. Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, they were the couple, right? And who's the fucking Robert Redford? Redford came in and was like, "Yeah, I want to fuck you for a million dollars." They were already having trouble, financial trouble. It was probably set up super obvious, like when Rain Man. All right. So anyway, but then she did it and broke up their marriage. That's right. So. <sighs> Is there any price yeah. for anything that you normally wouldn't give up yeah. that would let you give it up? Let's say there was a special you recorded on your own. That I hated. You, you hated it, yeah. but somebody came along and said, listen, I know you hate this, but I like this, and I want to put this out on Netflix for a million dollars. Oh, no way. No uh, way. Oh, nothing like that price. Ten no. million. No, it says, which won't, there's no reason to do it. I don't need the money like that. That's not where I create my happiness from. It's like, that. I'm already getting that stuff. That would ruin all of it. That'd ruin all of it. If I'm gonna ruin all of it, I'd get as much as I could, but like, I wouldn't do that. There's no way, no way. It's all free now. There's no reason to do something like that. Well, that's the Chappelle philosophy. What did he say? What was his philosophy? First philosophy he shared with comics was find your lane. Yeah, and what does that mean? be true to your lane what i think he meant by it was find your voice yeah and like you say be true to your voice stick to your voice believe in your voice and follow that straight line oh, that makes sense. and don't divert from it i hate when these fucking whatever comics like guido comics or anything and they start suddenly becoming like fucking preachers <laughs> like guys shut up do the fucking accents again that's all we want from you just do the accent and get out of here do you think that comedy sometimes borderlines on being a preacher, just different energies? Yeah, maybe, but like, yeah, yeah, sure, maybe. Don't you think yeah. you have followers because they think what you think and they believe what you believe, which is what a preacher does in a church? Maybe. Let me think about that. You don't pass along the basket, though, because you're Jewish. Right. I feel like the people who think what I think just tune into me. I don't change their opinion. Maybe I do sometimes. Of course you yeah, do. Yeah, maybe I do sometimes. But what? Is it like a religion? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
You don't think? No way. I mean, in a small, small way. Somebody who I don't hang out with, I've never spent a lot of time with. Your like father? You. My father passed away when I was four. So oh, sorry, buddy. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I knew you'd appreciate it if I said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wasn't. That's so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you were so inside. It's just, oh, man. So good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, the unexpected. It's so great. So what I was going to say was Joe Rogan is somebody who I have an enormous amount of respect for. From the first time I saw him on stage, and I could share this with you, as a manager, I would watch his confidence. He would go on with overalls and no t-shirt on. Wait, what? He was this cocky, ripped up guy in Boston. And Wait, he... are there pictures of him on stage with uh, overalls and no shirt on? I don't know if there are, but I'm just sharing with you. And he would fucking kill. And he had this powerful attitude where he rarely smiled and he just killed the audience. When I watched him in the back, I was like, wow, this is incredible. He was just in that lane, if I could use Chappelle's thing, where I thought even if the guy entertained a fraction of a thought of me working with him as a manager... I just wouldn't even be the right guy for what I see. But I have Why not? Why wouldn't you be a good manager for Joe Rogan? Because I always felt that I wasn't as good with people who were serious. (laughs) (laughs) My legs are going to be taken out every five minutes here. (laughs) Really, why wouldn't you be be a good manager for Joe Rogan? I just want to know it from the manager's point of view. Go ahead. Because... He had this aura of real seriousness yeah. that I don't know what it is. I guess I felt that energy and my energy would never work together. And again, to say there was a one in a million chance that he would ever even think that I would be right for him. So I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just looking from my perspective. But he had. An I'm e- telling you right now, if anyone's listening, if you can find me a picture of Joe Rogan with, a t- with overalls and no shirt on, I will give you 50 bucks to the first person who finds me a good picture. I will PayPal you $50 if you find me that. Right. You will get 50 bucks right now if you can find this before this podcast is over. Now, he didn't do it in the winter. you know. Well, but yeah, it, well, obviously, got to have Marky Mark style. You're going to have to pick your seasons. It probably was around that time when that was popular. <laughs> Man, I want to see a picture like this now. Who knows? This guy, oh, no one had cell phone cameras back then. Someone had no. to take a picture. Yeah. Well, that'll make it harder, but... As managing, I think I gravitated towards people who had more of an innocence about them in the beginning, the Chappelle's, Dane, which you don't remember that, no, but, but that people time. like Tracy Morgan or Jeffrey Lipschultz, who became Jeffrey Ross, they were just... You knew him as Lipschultz? Yeah. I, <laughs> How did that career go? <laughs> and so that's something that I thought about or I was cognizant of, and maybe, again, yeah, I'm imagining this, I don't think I was. So where I was with you is that, do you feel like you have an aura of the darkness or you feel like you're just like everybody else. No, I got a little aura of the darkness, I'm sure. So when you were growing up and you said you were doing comedy and getting into it and you weren't sure about that vision of comedy, what happened? What was the day before when you didn't have your mantra? Yeah. And the day after, what yeah. happened to go down? It wasn't like that, man. It's not like a day. It's not like a like I've got it now. It's just you slowly, slowly form an opinion. So a lot of failure... A lot of failure gives you time to like th- think, first of all, and also like start saying like, if I could do it right, how would I do it? You see the mistakes other people are making, you know? So you start learning from it. You see like comics drop off and you start, if you have time to fucking analyze it and like, why has that guy gotten worse? What happened there? And you just keep get, you keep just trying to get better and better. And then by the fi- time you do, it's like, I don't know, you get used to being poor. So like... Some stuff has less pull on you than it would have, you know, if you get used to like nice shit. I don't know. And then eventually you just start to develop this, this, this theory, some trial and tribulate, trial and error, you know, you fuck it up a couple of times. You're like, that didn't feel good. Obviously people change and yeah. comedy changes them. And we've all seen people start off as the light and go darker and darker. We've also yeah. seen people start off darker and go a little bit lighter. Yeah. How has comedy changed you? Um, yeah, I guess I'm more confident now, but I'm older now than I started. You know, when you can see open micers, they all do jokes about not being able to get laid because it's true. You know, you don't see like 32 year olds saying that because they're like, 
you know, they fucked before. It's not like that crazy a fucking proposition. Um, so as you get older, you get more confident. But I don't know if comedy did it to me. You know, just kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't think comedy really changed me much. <laughs> but failure changed me a lot. But that's it. Not comedy. But they say that failure is the key to success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Keep trying to work, get better. What's the first failure that led to your first success? I don't know. I mean, I always try to get into the comedy store for forever. So those were failures. They all just make you better as an artist. It wasn't like, it's not like this success thing, man. It's like, you just get better. You know, the successes are like incremental changes towards improving yourself. It's like losing like two strokes in your handicap. You know, it takes like a whole season to get there. And then it's not like, oh, cool, I got it. Putting's better. You said something very profound that nobody really has touched on in probably over 200 episodes. You've done 200 episodes, Barry Katz. That's crazy. Good job. Well, coming from you, that yeah, means a lot. It's a lot, man. It's like, hard to get there. What's that, four years? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking hard. Yeah, nobody does them, first of all. People do do them, give it up. That's, that's a big milestone. Anyway, go ahead. In my opinion, when I look at you, it's the perfect trajectory of the plane starting and going and rising a little yeah, bit slowly, every year. Slowly, learning, get a little better. And it's the plane has never evened out yet. Right. It just keep going, and that's a very rare thing. And one of the things that I would imagine is if you have anxiety, one of the biggest things that might make you anxious is, wow, this plane's going. It's a slow and steady. It's rising. It's rising. Yeah. I don't want it to go down. Well, I would make sure it's not gonna. Like I, I pay mind to it. Like I told you, like I, I watch other comics and what's gone wrong with them. I'd love you to, if you could, just make an example of one comic you observe who was doing things right, and then all of a sudden they did things wrong, and it turned. And then tell me somebody who was doing something wrong and nothing was happening, and then realized what he was doing wrong or she, and turned it around, and it went the right way. Allie seems to have turned it around. Ali Wong. Yeah. She was kind of doing a lot of like pee-pee, poo-poo stuff. And then and then she like, uh, I don't know, it seems like she got serious. You know? When I was in film class, they talked about Woody Allen. And when, I think it was Annie Hall, maybe something else. But before that, it was just like a goofball director. And then that's when they were like, oh, we got to take you seriously as a director. Like you started to. Or, or fucking Matthew McConaughey. When he's like, you know what? Enough of this dumb shit. Let me try hard. So like she's one that seemed to be like, oh, wow. It was way better. Got it. And then tell me the reversed example. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are like, they were starting to go and then just kind of like, oh, there goes the momentum. It's all like, Rock's the version of it that's like. Chris Rock. Yeah, like long term. You know, we had now two, two, two albums, um, specials, whatever, that were like among the best ever. Definitely one. And then the other's like, great. And then like, then what? You know? special eight years ago that was kind of mediocre well what does he do wrong what did he what did, where did he go off i had a conversation with him i can't remember which special it was but he opened up with 10 minutes of michael jackson material and i remember sitting down with him i guess i have no filter and maybe it's wrong of me i love the conversation i said i love what you do you're one of the greatest in the history of comedy why did you Open up your special Jackson with stuff. 10 minutes of Michael Jackson stuff. And he said, Barry, I think I proved myself in these last two specials. And if I want to have fun and do a little bit of material that might not be in the lane of that other material, I'm going to do it. And yeah. I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy myself. And I don't think I should be judged on the 10 minutes of Michael Jackson material. I should be judged on the body of work I have nobody's going to do Michael Jackson material as good as I'm going to do it. Yeah. But yes, people do Michael Jackson material, but I should be able to do it and I'm doing it. Yeah. It's crazy that you would tell Chris Rock <laughs> what he should stay on stage. I didn't tell him what he should say. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked him why. Yeah. I didn't say to him, you shouldn't have done that Michael Jackson stuff. I said, were you really you asking why? Or were you like saying like, why are you doing that? You're like, really explain it to me. Like, Hey, 
Tell me. Yeah, you're across from me now. Do I not seem like I'm that kind of person? Or? I'm trying to it, it, like picture the conversation. Right. So if it's like that, if it is like that, that's fine. I would sit down and I'd say, can I ask you a question about yeah. something? And he said, yeah. I just want to try to understand these last two specials are there. I love the special, but when you open up with the 10 minutes of the Michael Jackson, you leave yourself open to, you know, how people are and whatever. And I'm just wondering what the decision making was into opening up. Right, 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 right. And he was like, fuck it, man. I want to fuck around. It's fine. You know, Sam Kinison, who was amazing. And then the next album or two, we're like, what the fuck is this? Just like patting yourself on the back. But you're talking about a guy who was a hardcore drug addict and alcoholic kind of yeah, personality sure. and you lose your way. Yeah. But Chris Rock, he stayed with that example because that's not somebody who's in that world. Right. Right now it wasn't drugs. I think it's like success. I'm not really sure. I know it's like not being in clubs every night. I got to think that's one of them. When I see people like leave clubs every night, then it's like, oh, I saw Martin Lawrence come into the store. Um, and he went up and he said, I haven't been up on stage at all in six months. And he went up and then he sat on stage. And then he, he was like, he was bad. He was pretty bad. It was like weird because I remembered him from, you know, from back then. And then he kept coming in. He kept in, coming in like twice a week, three times a week for, for about, he might have said, I haven't been on stage in two years, actually. I'm trying to remember the exact details now. But he kept coming in, and then he was doing, by the end, by six months later, a year later, whatever it was, he was doing the same material, but he was, like, doing really well. He was, like, you know, he was better again because he was practicing more. And then when you go away, you get less practice, you get worse. So, you know, the people aren't in clubs, like, I don't know, how are you going to go on stage from, like, an eight to 14 times a week down to, like, you know, six a month and, and be as good? There's no way. It can't happen. can't happen in athletics. There's no way. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. A lot of people ask me as comics who are ready, yeah. where should I move? Should I move to Los Angeles or should I move to New York? And I always say, well, what do you want? And if they say, I want to try to be the best stand-up comedian I can be, I always say, move to New York. Yeah. And they say, why? I say, because there is a good chance you can probably get up 10 times a week in New York or more and in LA if you get on three times a week it's a miracle and at the end of a year who's going to be three times better right 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 yeah I don't know the I don't know I can't really speak on the open mic scene in New York just I was never part of that um but the club scene in New York is you can for sure get up way more than in LA I mean yeah I get all my stuff done and three times a week is not a miracle you should be in LA you should be getting up eight to ten times a week if you're an open micer but like in New York, I don't know if you can get better there, but afterwards is when you can get up as much as you want. So I can get up like three, six, 12, like 15 times in three days, four days, and then take three days off and try to get some experiences down, you know? But I don't know. There's some good comics that came out of LA. You would think with the amount of extra practice New York gets that they'd be like far, far superior to anybody from LA. In rap, yeah. East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. In comedy, People rarely talk about 
who's better, which town produces. Comics. Oh, we talk about it all the time. Me and Metzger fight about it constantly. You do? Oh, yeah. Okay. He throws up shitty comics at me from L.A., and I throw back shitty comics at him from New York. Here's why L.A. ends up being better. It's because the best ones of New York end up going to, to L.A. They inherit the best. Who's left in New York? Gaffigan and Attell. Do you think that Bill Burr considers himself an L.A. comic? He is. He's an L.A. comic now. That's where he goes up mostly. I didn't ask you that. No, I don't know. I'm an L.A. comic, but I'm in New York now. They inherited me. They come to L.A. because all the stuff that you don't want to associate with, which is money, mm -hmm. they come to L.A. because that's where the film and television is. Yes, Fallon is in New yeah. York. Yes. Uh, More pals are shot in New York now than L.A. Yeah. Well, true, if you count the dramas, too. But the point is... Yeah. A lot of times they're shot there, and then they bring them back out here. This yeah. is what I want to do. I want to do a little role play. Let's All do right? It. Okay. So we're going to be picking a baseball team, nine okay. and nine. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be from let's New get York. A You're from LA. Yeah. So let's let's flip a coin to see um, who goes for who picks first. Who picks first? Okay. okay. So wait, who's LA? I'm LA. You're LA. I'm New York. That's heads. Okay. And that's tail. You call okay. it heads. Tails. Okay, it's tails. Yeah. So I go first. Okay. Okay. My first pick. Right now, at this point in time, they got to be doing comedy in New York right now, though. No. Yeah, that's who the New York comics are, and the LA comics are now. Let's just do this. Let's yeah. take the development process from when they okay. first started going on stage Until and the, the first five-year five mark. Okay. I'm taking Chappelle. New York, for sure. Okay. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. That's your choice for your first. Pick. I don't know. It's the first one I thought of that like okay. started in New York. Chris Rock is my number Chris two. Chris Rock. Pick. Okay. All right. Um. Man, I might be out of them already. No, keep Paul going. Paul Rodriguez. Come <laughs> Nobody on. starts in L.A. No, you said there's an opportunity to develop in L.A. Oh, no. Comic. It's an awful, awful open mic scene. You just told me that, hey, you can go eight times a week. You know oh, that. Oh, no, yeah, you do it, but it's awful. Oh, it's terrible, Barry. It's the worst. Well, that's what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's awful. Almost all my friends but failed come out. come on. Okay, so you said Paul Rodriguez is your number two. I'm gonna <laughs> I mean, who's who's third? Can Mencia? I keep going? You're going to make me pick Mencia? Because he's going to have to be my top nine of people who actually start no, in LA. We're, Kevin Christie? Freddie Prinze would be definitely on my list. Okay. Wouldn't he? But you couldn't give me Kinison, I guess. That's like... <sighs> yeah. I'll give you Kinison. Okay, I'll take Kinison first. All right, so what do you got so far? You got else? Chris Tucker, Kinison, gonna... Paul Rodriguez, Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince, yeah. So you got four now. I've only got. Dude, I don't know who started in LA. I know from when I started, and very few people started in LA. That's okay. I only Not got... even like Pete Holmes or anybody like that. So I only got two, so can I mention some more? Yeah, you've got a ton. I can already tell you you've got a ton coming. Gaffigan and Attel. I'm fine. Yeah, five years of people who fucking stayed in LA, in New York. But the good ones left. That's what I'm saying. And now they're LA comics. They have to leave. No, they don't. Gaffigan's fine. He's got five kids. I know. He physically would could, it would cost him too much to move. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> plane tickets. Maybe the comedy store could do relocation. Money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's a very strange question. Yes, sir. Tell me a comedian that you don't respect that you respect a part of what they do, but you don't respect them as a person. Um, uh, Dane's a good example. Okay, so what do you respect about what I he's mean, his done? Work ethic is like, he's like, let me actually try to make this career going. That, that, that part's good, you know, the thinking outside the box and like, and like, you know, see a new fucking, you know, MySpace. And he's like, let me try to kill it on here. Get everybody to know me. That, you know, that I should take some of that, you know? Um, but then the the kind the guy who like tries to bump specific people, you know, instead of just saying I get this honor of going on, I'll go on when I get in, but like like wants to bump you, it's like that part's like yeah, you're a garbage person. And one of the things I want to ask you about that because I don't know the answer to it. Honestly, you look at me, I really don't yeah. know the answer to this. Is it documented somewhere that him or any person who's done it? that bumps somebody, yeah. that they specifically want to bump that person? Is it written somewhere in an email, or is it no, something that's no, proven? It's just always after enough time where you're like, oh, I've got a thing going on, and it's like, they, they or they'll call. A, a comedy club fucking guy who works the phones calls, and then the per, that person will be like, hey, what time is so-and-so going? And they'll say, there, like, cool, I'll see you then. Dane would try to go on right before D'Elia, like comedy juice, and then when he says I'm coming in, it's like, cool, 
He goes, make sure I'm on before Delia. It's like, okay, cool. And then like no one's there, so Delia goes up early. And then he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Why is he on? It's like, what are you doing, man? Because you wanted to bump him? What are you doing? What are you doing? Just go up and fucking get better. You're trying to hold other people back. I mean, no shit if you want, but don't try. Whatever. It's garbage behavior. I don't work with Dan anymore, but I also have a lot of respect for my work that I did with him. I think we accomplished a tremendous amount together. Hey, man. So Business-wise, you guys killed it. No doubt about that. But... I want you to try this on, if you will, like right. a fine jacket. Okay. Let's pretend there's three sides to every story, if okay. you'll just oblige me. Yeah. So one reason that a person goes in and says, what the fuck, why is that guy on it yeah. now, could be that they wanted to go on and disrupt that person's set yeah over and over again at the yeah. laugh factory all the time at the yeah, improv yeah. all the time just constantly trying to disrupt their set yeah one reason okay what's another reason i don't know the answer i'm just saying one other reason i would think could be that maybe when they do go after that person they feel like their set doesn't go over as well as it did and it's making them feel not as great mentally about their craft. Yeah. Guess what? You saw that Madison Square Garden. Suck it up. You're the headliner. So what the fuck are you talking? No, I would never accept that as an answer. No. Here's another possibility. I'm a physical comic. I've sort of brought physical comedy into the mainstream. You know, 10, 12, 15 years later, these guys that were in high school and grade school looking up to me, they sort of like learned from me. Same way, you know, black comics learned from Richard Pryor. And now a new person who's doing physical comedy and who's getting all the youthful roles that I might have wanted to get, but now I'm fucking 20 years, 15 years older, I'm not getting any more, and it makes me hate you. It makes me hate you. Instead of saying, hey, this is my next, this is my son. This is my guy. He's just like I was. It makes me hate you because it makes me realize that you're replacing me. So Let's I, go one more. Yeah. And I know this is going to be really, really hard for you to yeah. embody this, but okay. I'm asking you. I'm ready to. Okay. Go ahead. Let's hear it. I want you to pretend that we have Dane Cook in a soundproof booth. He can visualize everything. He sees everything. People are showing him all videotape yeah. of everything that you're describing. Yeah. And there's a true serum in his veins. But he's in a soundproof booth so he can say whatever he wants and it's not going to ever get out and no one's ever going to hear yeah. what his explanation is. Yeah. I want you to role play and pretend you're him. Don't make a joke. Okay. Tell me... What he would say as a person. Well, I'll tell you what most people don't ever do is actually say, wait, am I wrong in this situation? Like in any situation. Even in parking, if I'm like, you know, took somebody's parking spot, they honk at me, like, fuck you. And then on the way out, you realize, oh, I was going the wrong way down a one way. You don't like see that person go, hey, by the way, sorry about that. I, I realized now I was wrong. You just still go, oh, fuck that person honking at me. That's Even though true. you know the truth, you never face it. But I want you to oblige You're me. saying he's facing it right now? He's facing the he's truth? He sound- knows what his actions were? I don't want to say truth or false yeah that's up to the person watching so your dane in this soundproof booth no one's going to hear what you say but there's a true serum in your veins you've observed videotape things testimonials good bad whatever and i want you maybe he took some mushrooms so we can actually like maybe we'll go with that can you take me that so i just want to know does he actually seeing himself for what he is like you're saying take his ego out of the way it's like if I show you videotape of your special, yeah, you're going to break it down frame yeah, by frame and up. tell you where you did this, yeah. whatever, what's great, what's this, why this happened, why did this happen here. Yeah. And I want you to be Dane and tell me with a true serum in your veins what's happening and why you're doing it honestly with okay. yourself. I think with- I got it. It'd be like this. It'd be like, you don't understand, man. It's not about helping people like that. It's not about that. It's about being the wolf. It's about being the main guy. And when someone challenges the wolf's place, they have to put them down. They have to put them in their place. That's what I'm doing. These guys think they're doing better than me. I'm number one, and I'll make sure that I continue to be number one. Howard Stern does the same shit with Open Anthony, where he goes against his free speech rules in order to censor others because they're challenging him. That's what Dane would say. If he was being real honest with himself and real, like, I'll tell you why I did it. He's not going to say, he's going to say whether it's good or bad is irrelevant. I got through to that guy one time when I was like, why don't you fucking call some podcast? And Red Band's like Ice House things. And he was like, why don't you just call in when you know you're going to come in? Why don't you just call in? 
And he was like, what good would it do? Was somebody not going to go in if I bump something? Now they're not going to go in. I'm like, no, but I can call. And if it's a Saturday night and I'm at a party, I'll stay at my party for an extra hour. Because the Laugh Factory would have gotten the call and they could have called me and said, hey, stay at your party for an hour. Because Dan's coming in. And I can live my life. And he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And for about three or four months, he didn't bump. And then I just buried it and he fucking went right back to it. So you have had impacts on people. <laughs> Short term, I think. Look, I guess. Hit him with some truth. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know what his legacy was? When his car pulled into a parking lot, a bunch of people slumped their shoulders. Yeah. And if you were him. Yeah. And you visualize what's happened and what the perspective is from the comedy community. Yeah. And you had to... It'd make me sad. It'd make me sad for sure. Okay. What would the steps you'd take... I don't know if he ever cared. Maybe he did. I really didn't know him that well. He cared tremendously he about what people thought. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and he good point. had enormous, <laughs> believe it or not, enormous respect for Louis C.K., Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you this. I have no reason to lie. Yeah. Loved Bill Burr's comedy. Enormous respect for so many people in the business. Now, I know... Too much respect. We can both agree for Louis C.K.'s stuff. So, when you said you have respect for Dane in some aspects, one of the things I would think you'd say you have respect for, because there's two kinds of people. There's the guys who see the wolves and see the people getting better who are just like, I just can't go in there. I can't face the fact that these guys are getting better and I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. That's better. man. So you have better to do that. It's better. Yeah. It's better to do that from the, everyone else's point of view. Yeah. Fine. Go home. Don't try to fucking blow the place up before you leave. So tell me what you would do if you were, faced with that situation or what advice you would give a comic to start changing the listening to where they can change the thought process of the community and start repairing and building again. I don't, it's like, I don't know. I saw Dom say it once about somebody bumping in all the time. And it's like, it's a workout town, man. LA and New York, they're workout towns. So what are you, what are you doing going on for an hour for? Do your own show. Just get a theater somewhere and do an hour. You can fill it up if you're that big. What are you doing? It's not like the reason we told you all the celebrities are like, hey, you can come on in whenever you want is 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 so that if you're passing by and you have if you're Jim Carrey and you're driving down Sunset and you see the store and you go like, you know what? Hold on. And he just fucking does a U-turn and comes back. He's like, do you mind if I go on? You're like, fuck yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll put you right on, man. That's, that's so cool. You just want to do comedy again. But it's not for like consistently just fucking over your colleagues. Just call in. Make them use a different name. Make them, don't tell anybody. Just call in. Just be like, hey, I'm coming. So your colleagues are going to get inconvenienced. So you can let them know. I'm, I'm, I'm for sure coming. Not when like I might be coming, but when I'm for sure coming. Just don't, these are, that's you. That's you. You're all the same person. Just call in or go at the end. I saw Rock do that once. When I was working, I was assistant talent coordinator at the comedy store. And Duncan was gone. He was the talent coordinator. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was working the door at night. And somebody pointed to this guy in a fucking sweatsuit coming through the back of the main room. And I was like, oh. And he was all fucking bearded. And I was like, it must be like a homeless dude who walked in. And um, <laughs> so I have to throw him out. The other door guy was pointing at him. like, you do it. And so then he came through. And I opened the curtain. He went out on his own. I was like going to block his way. And then it was Rock. It was Chris Rock. It wasn't a homeless person at all. He was just wearing a sweatsuit. <laughs> just super racist on my part. But uh, and so he was like, "Do you mind if I go on in the main room?" And so I had to like stop and think. And like first of all, unball my fist. Like, okay, I'm not throwing anybody out right now. But like, I was like, "Oh, usually the pop-ins." Mitzi always says the pop-ins are in the original room. So like, nobody does pop-ins in the main room. We just do. Why don't you just go next door? And he goes, well, I know. I looked at the lineup, and this is the last comic on in here. And the original room still has like five left. So I just figured I would do this. And it's like, yeah, great. Yeah, perfect. Do it. Just a little bit of care. And then nobody gets bumped. Your other colleagues get a chance to get better. I, I don't. I just won't accept the opposite. Chappelle yeah. consistently walks into places 
bumps comics and goes on for hours, hours and, and hours. nobody cares. That's not true. Why? Who? Do, what do you mean nobody cares? So you comics think, don't care? You think people say comics don't care? They have to wait anywhere between thirty minutes and six hours to go on. You think people say negative things about Chappelle? Of course they do. Anyone who bumps, it's not a secret. Anyone who bumps, other comics all hate you. I've never heard anybody say they hate Dave Chappelle. They hate the bumping. Nobody likes that. No. I had a spot. I'm just trying to work out. It's not about the fucking fifteen dollars. The only reason I'm here today on the earth is so I can fucking get up tonight. And now I can't get up. All right, well, fucking call. Same thing with Eliza. When everyone got on her, it wasn't so much the deed she did, which was misspeak about female comics. It was that everybody didn't like her. Nobody respected her comedy. So that everyone was like, now we'll take the chance to fucking pile on you. With Dana, same thing. People respect Chappelle's comedy. So like, we, we won't call you out for doing a shitty thing. <laughs> but I'm calling him out. Come on, man. Don't do that shit. Just go at the end if you're going to do it. You want to hear a fun story? He was going on at the, at the cellar. Chappelle? The cellar. Yeah. The cellar, what, uh, sometimes Jeff Ross and Mattel do that thing. They, yeah. they go on together. Jeff's always like, Tell call me. He said, he sees I'm on. He's going to come on with me. Or a tell will be on. And then he'll keep calling Jeff, like, come down, come down, come down. And so if he does that, they usually, Esty usually puts, usually puts uh, a tell on second to last. And so if they do that, a tell's like, do you want to switch? Because we might do like 45 minutes. And you're like, yeah, for sure. Thank you. 45 minutes of them fucking with the crowd and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I'll go up 15 minutes earlier. And then you can go do an hour. It's fine. Respect if it's peers. But other nights, when he's just on second to last and Jeff Ross isn't in town, Attell usually says, like, do you want to switch? And it's like, no, man, it's okay. Like, there's no reason. I got the time. I can wait for 15, 20 minutes, whatever you normally do. Um, it'll make me better, you know? Um, and so the other night, he said the same thing. I came and I saw him, on the, you know, sitting there. And he's like, do you want to switch? I'm like, no, it's okay. As long as Jeff's not coming. Like, yeah, do your time. And then Chappelle walked in after that. And he goes, hey, Dave. And he goes, hey, Dave, back. You know, he goes, you're going to go on? He goes, yeah, no. And Chappelle's like, I'll go after you. You know, he'll wait till after he's done. And he's like, cool, thanks. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's finally some fucking respect, you know? And he goes, yeah, because we just have to meet you to get you. That's what it tells him to me. I'm like, oh, God damn it. That means I got to follow it. I got to wait fucking all night until who knows. And then you get to the point where it's like, it's three o'clock. Like, oh, all right, just so you know, no matter what time he gets off now, you're not going on. It's like, oh, all right, I guess I'll leave. They pay you anyway, which is nice on their side. But anyway, so then it tells like, now we should switch. He's going to go on after me. We should fucking do the swap you do. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, come on, come on, put me on, put me on, put me on. And he's upstairs going, looking at the lineup, going, who's Ari Shafir? And they were like, he's on after a tell. I was like, well, he's about to get fucked. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so then I'm on. He comes downstairs to see if it lasts like five minutes of, of a tell or something. He sees me and he's like, who's this? And like, it's Ari Shafir. And he goes, uh. And then I get off and a tell's on. And so he comes downstairs. He goes, oh, you're Ari Shafir? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well played. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, man. It was a good time. I had a good time up there. Goes, yeah, good job. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right, I want to yeah. go way, way back. Okay. Take me back to where you grew up and the socioeconomic dynamic and with your first inspiration to getting into comedy. I used to watch a lot of like, I guess Carson, and then like Live from the Laugh Factory, whatever that Saturday Night Show was. Yeah, but I saw a lot of comics there. They cracked me up. I was like, that's cool. My friend Ami Butler was like, you should do comedy. And was your family poor? The middle no, class? No, middle class. Lower middle class. Got it. We faked middle middle class, <laughs> even though we were a lower middle class, you know. And so what was your first break in comedy? I mean, my first break was, was looking for the Laugh Factory, driving down to get a job at the Laugh Factory, and passing this other club that I'd never heard of. And I go, okay, well, I'll apply to that one on the way back, I guess. And you got a doorman job. Yeah, the Laugh Factory's like, we don't hi- we, we don't. We, don't we already comics. have Alonzo like, Bowden as our doorman. <laughs> was he a doorman there? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they didn't really, really look at hire comics. And the comedy store was only looking to hire wannabe comics. Got that's, it. That's all they did. So. And your first big, big break where you got a television show or something happened. That was the biggest break of my career. Rogan starting a podcast. That was a big break for me. That was yeah. a big break? Yeah. What do you think? What's your reputation in the industry? Why don't you tell me how shitty my reputation is? Because I don't know you. I've never worked with you. Well, what do you hear? Not great things. God, what do you hear? <laughs> You're a ski ball. I'm a ski ball. Yeah. What is a ski ball? Skeeve. Yeah. You know, like slimy. Like you're, you're people. I think people think you're what what people don't like when they think of managers. That's fair. I always thought what I want when I didn't have anybody was like I want a fucking Jew. Someone people other refer to as that fucking Jew. <laughs> you know, I think you would fit into that category. We people go that fucking Jew. Did I have a reputation of not getting shit done or getting stuff? Getting done? shit done. Also not paying people. Yeah. Okay. That was back in the Boston days. Yeah. I heard a lot about yeah. that. 
<laughs> it's a long time ago. Do you ever call those people and apologize and say, hey, I'm sorry? I got that once in my career where someone's like, hey, by the way, I missed the boat on you. Uh, I'm not gaining anything from this right now, but I'm just letting you know that I was, I was wrong about that. Yeah, I say that to people all the time. But really? it's funny, I did a podcast with Bill Burr and he just sat down and the first thing he sat down, he said, you owe me $75. Yeah, said, man. Rogan, you didn't pay for the longest time. I think he had to come down there and get it from you. With the overalls? Maybe with the overalls, no <laughs> shirt. Man, and if there are no pictures of that, please Photoshop some pictures of Joe Rogan with those Marky Mark overalls. <laughs> Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Just tell me what you think. Could be one word, a sentence, a little story, whatever it is, okay? Yeah. Joe Rogan. Uh, first thing that came to mind was this time in, in Rhode Island where, where some guy was, we were doing like a yachting club. They had Saget there too. I don't know why this is the first thing that came to mind, but it was. But um, we had just done the Faneuil Hall room. What was that one called? A Comedy Connection. Comedy Connection, yeah. And then we tacked on two days. One in Chicopee, which... No one should ever be in. That's the hooky lounge, Chicopee. Hookah lounge, yeah, hooky lounge, yeah. It's like a 500 seat oh, People room. rolling up their fucking <laughs> leftover Chinese food <laughs> during your set. Somebody came up and took a picture with me while I was on stage, Barry. Somebody just went up there. I was like, I want to get a picture. And then to fucking took a, not even a selfie with a cell phone, just like a, a camera. <laughs> Some lady was like, you want to see my tits afterwards? And we we're all like, no, we don't. And man, she lifted up her shirt and they were awful little snakes. So after that, they actually added in also Rhode Island, which was cool. You see all the scenery and the old houses. But on the way from the um, parking lot to this giant tent that sat like 700 people, uh, the guy who was promoting it or you know putting on the show was like, all right, hey, so here's the deal. We're going to put you on at this time. We'll have a place for you to sit on the side. And, and uh, now you should know these, these people are a little bit more conservative. So maybe um, you know try to keep it a little clean if you could. You know, just air on that side a little. Um, and this is Rogan's reaction. <laughs> this is Rogan's reaction. You do that to me. You be the guy walking with me. I can't do a role play with you. I'm not good at that shit. What do you mean? Just be, be that guy. You've heard of that guy before. You would give me <laughs> what, what, you, what you would think. The guy would say, just a normal thing. Just be like, hey, you know, try to keep it clean, you guys, as we're walking. Here we hey, listen, try to keep it clean. No! <laughs> that was his reaction. <laughs> Man, he didn't even entertain the thought. It didn't even enter. He's going, I see what she's off. Stop. It was just, uh-uh. <laughs> and you know what happened that show? I got to me a little bit. I tried to clean it up. Didn't do well. Joey Diaz was as filthy as ever and killed. Rogan that never took it into account. Always killed. So <laughs> a couple of years ago, it could be argued that the most popular comedy club in Los Angeles was the Improv, followed by the Laugh Factory and the Comedy Store. Yeah. There's a change made there. They yeah. took out the guy who was working there for many, many years. The last guy to work with Mitzi. And the change was made, and they gave it to a guy who never booked a show in his life. And yeah. within a year and a half, there's a drastic change in the landscape. He decided to take Carlos Mencia out of the lineup. He created relationships with people again, and this comedy yeah. store is rocking with a guy who had no experience prior to taking the job. It's unbelievable. Well, he just reached out. Uh, you're talking about Fatim, Fatim Egut. Yeah. Um, uh, he, um, yeah, he just reached out to all the comics. He was like, hey, I know you're one of the best comics in the country. You, you I don't know what they did before, but yeah, I mean, I follow comedy. I know who you are. Guys like Hannibal, he'd be like, whatever. I don't, like, I don't care what happened before. Here's the number. Call it on Mondays if you want, you know, if you're in town. And it was like, yeah, then all the best ones came. As a comic, when you were there during the Carlos Mencia things, before the Joe Rogan fallout, before that, yeah, how did comics handle their uncomfortability with the situation? Oh, okay, I'll tell you a few things. Uh, we'd have uh, signals for each other um, for when he pulled up in the parking lot. Um uh, anywhere between like somebody really loud in the back, depending on who you were, like coughing real loud. Um, some people just go, ah, ah, and that means Carlos is pulling in. Any material you want protected, you need to stop doing it. Just do crowd work or just get off. That's another thing too. Since he would do a lot of time, steal and do a lot of time, it was uh, a double thing. So if you got off right away while he's still pulling in the parking lot, let's say you were at like 10, 11, you're not going to do material anyway because it's coming in. You don't want it gone. So like... You would say, thank you, good night. Who's next? And maybe one more guy who doesn't care can get on, you know, ahead of him. So we had like signals. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> we had people, deals with the door guys like, light me immediately if you see him. You need to light me immediately. If it's at four minutes, does it matter? Light me. But obviously the comedians had the opinion that he was taking their material yeah. up. He 
believed when he looked in the mirror that, like you said, some people say, I didn't do that. But why do you think it took so long? Even Joe, who's a very strong guy and believes in what he believes in, I think this was happening for years before that. Yeah. Why do you think, and I can't speak for Joe, but why do you think that night that happened? Was it something that you thought was planned out? Mencia had just gotten, he had taken over kind of Chappelle's show and gotten a lot of popularity out of it. And um, he was going up and up and getting more and more confident. You probably saw that change in Dane when more and more people were starting to be like, hey, why are you fucking with me? You've also seen the reports happen more. You know, once he gets more successful, you start, you start getting like, I deserve this stuff. So then he started getting more and more cocky. It was before he would avoid Joe. You know, Joe was one of the guys saying, like, he's a, he's a thief. He would avoid him. And now he's getting cockier. I've got this show. It's a success. And Comedy Central back then was in their height, you know. This was 2007, 6, 5. I don't know. That, they were like the powerhouse then, you know. And so he was feeling like I'm fucking on top of the world. And so he brought up a comic. Rogan brought up a comic. Um, Kirk Fox and he goes uh, I love Kirk yeah Fox. Kirk's great man mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, he he was writing for Mind of Mencia so he brought him up as like this guy writes for uh, Mind of Mencia that was like one of the nicknames people had for him Mencia get it because Mencia I Mencia. get it. okay you got it and um, and he goes I'm familiar with the oh how it works okay with nicknames <laughs> okay cool and, uh, <laughs> I'm in the business I know it's hard to believe because I'm skeevy but I actually follow the business um and he's like, yeah, he said that. And then Mencia was on in the main room at the time. Rogan had just done an hour. And Mencia was on in the main room. And so he heard that. And Kirk's on stage. He starts. And Mencia like, waited for Joe to pass. I guess he like went right in his face. And then Rogan was like, what do we want to back down from you? Like, you're not physically intimidating. Like, what, you know? And so then he passed and went up to Kirk, grabbed the mic out of his hand. Like, like a dog. Just like no respect. And he was like, say that shit to my face. But he just challenged him. And then Joe was like, yeah, okay. And he went up to the side of the stage and they're like talking to each other until the piano guy's like, hey, Joe, second mic's on. And then he was like, oh, I got a mic now. Let's do this. And then Sears got cocky. He was like, everybody loves me. America loves me. But he didn't realize that club had just seen an hour of Joe Rogan. That audience right there had just seen a guy, a master of his craft, just perform it for 55 minutes. Like, of course, whose side were they on? Not the guy who America loved, but this guy right now, we love you. And then he was speaking the truth too. And so it didn't go, you know, Carlos's way, but that's what it was. He just got cocky. I think, I think, I don't I mean, I don't really know, but I think. And so I'm going to put you in the position again, like I did earlier. Okay. But it's for a different reason. Yeah. And again, you mentioned Dane Cook and Louis CK, and I just want to tell you my opinion on it and you can tell me yours. It's okay. I don't think that, a comedian should be judged on 92 seconds of material than another comic did when they've generated seven hours yeah, yeah, of material yeah. on stage. I know, stage. I know, but, but that sort of shit ruins your legacy. You know, you can bring a bunch of people closer to the Lord, but then you get one child rape, and of course that's going to be the fucking thing people remember. And Louis C.K. would sit here and say that one of the jokes Steve Martin did that kind of joke I don't remember them per se, but it was three jokes. Yeah, from the 92 same- seconds out of seven hours here's what always happens they point to one example when they want to disprove one of these joke thieves and say that wasn't exactly i'm not disproving anything dane would steal from everybody and then he would say i'm going to call my lawyers on you if you don't stop doing my bit i'm going to call my lawyers on you and you're like what do you mean your bit you know goddamn well you saw me do that you took it you're going to call my lawyers for what for what money am i making has anybody ever accused you of taking a joke nope Never once. I have gotten a couple calls or says, hey, I have something real similar to that. Um, what do you think? I've dropped three of them that I can think of or just rewritten it to where it's like, oh, cool, let me not step on your thing. Um, right, let's keep going. Okay. Conan O'Brien. Yeah. I remember I did Conan once. We talked after uh, afterwards about the Patriots. You know what? I saw a thing on him when, when he talked about celebrity. It's an interview. Uh, he was The reason I saw it was... Sloss was he said Sloss is one of my favorite comics but like he, he said uh, afterwards talking about celebrity and the damage it could do to you thought that was real fucking clear minded he made a lot of sense Damien Merlina just a comic I started with in LA we'd hang out all the time <laughs> yeah yeah we used to wait in line together at the open mics at the comedy store for years do you sometimes feel bad when things go a little bit out of control like they did with that or 
Are you yeah. always okay? And I'm okay. You stick to your guns. You're fine. But I've had a bunch of like things come at me like that. Um, as long as you're true to yourself, it's fine. You, you, I I just I don't, I don't care for people defending their art forms, especially people who haven't like taken it in. You know, who are just like I I know what it is. I've gotten upset on behalf of nothing before. I got upset of that guy who killed that lion, and then you find out like no, he got a hunting license, and they need to take down the populations of lions. Or they start killing people. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know the whole story. Sorry. The greatest yeah. advice that you ever got from a person in your profession. But, and the second part of that question what? is, tell me the greatest advice you've given somebody in the profession and who were they? I was going through my first rut. Like I was like, things weren't going as good. You know, it was like all the all the, the, the stages that were like, oh, this should be killer crowds. or were like B plus instead. And the ones that were like, should be like mediocre. They were like C minus. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what's, what's wrong? Just a little bit worse across the board. I couldn't figure it out. And I asked like five different people uh, what the story was. Um, and Freddie Soto was like, how many times have you done those? The late Freddie Soto. The late Freddie Soto. Not because he's black, because he's dead. Um, <laughs> said, uh, you know, how many times you've done this bits? And I'd be like, you know, like 40, 50. You know, it's like I know them. He goes, oh, dude, no, not 40. You need to do it like a thousand times. He was like, you got to know when to like raise your shoulder and like, you know, step forward and raise your voice. And it's like, oh, geez. Okay. So that was good advice. Dice told me like it's because you're not excited about the bits anymore, so you gotta like get excited. He was like, look like a college basketball analyst. It's a fucking forty point game with ten minutes left in the in the second. You know, they're not gonna like, they're not excited, but they gotta be like, wow, what a dunk! Oh, this kid's got a future. They gotta fake it. So he said, just fucking fake it. Um, Rogan gave me some good advice. He said that like, probably Ushak gave me something too. Maybe he was the best, but Rogan said something like, said like, um, you've just gotten better than your material. So like you've grown, your material is still like fucking 40 sets ago. So like, you're kind of like, you don't want to do it like that anymore. Um, and he goes, you got to drop it and just move on, write something new. And then, um, Argus Hamilton said, maybe stand up's not your thing. (laughs) 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 That was his first advice to a door guy. Well, you know, maybe stand up's not your thing. Not for everybody. I was like, oh, uh, thanks, man. I was really just looking for a way to get through this. I was looking for an excuse to quit. Motherfucker. Oh, uh, that's so, yeah, that's yeah. so dark. Yeah, wearing a fucking comedy store t-shirt, trying to learn my craft. I'm like, have you been through this? You must you must have dealt with this before. I was like, eh, you know, it's not your thing. Huh. And then um, and then uh, Bob Oshak was like, yeah, you just got to suck it up and keep going. And then it'll be gone. He said almost like. I'm paraphrasing now, but he's like, treat it like a sprain and just fucking walk it off. And tell me a comic that you saw or came up to you and asked you for advice and the greatest advice. Get up as much as you can. That's all. Just get practice in. Just get sets in. Um, Yeah, that was good advice I got too. Jordy Fox was like, you gotta get up more. Getting up like twice a week. You gotta get up like five times a week at minimum. Amazing. I'm so grateful. Very. It's been nice. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, a review on the iTunes comment review section. And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, will Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. And landing on Surfer8155, January 9th, 2018. Ooh, just recently. The heading reads, Crying, Laughing in the Las Vegas Airport. Five stars. And it reads... I've been listening to this podcast for a while and I've not been able to write a review till now. But the podcast with Bill Burr released recently was the funniest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) My flight was delayed an hour and a half, but it could have been longer because I did not care. This episode kept me company. Thank you, Industry Standard. Uh, thank you, Surfer8155. Much appreciated. Congratulations. You are a winner. Lastly, I'd like to thank our sponsors, AquaTrue. Again, go to industrystandardwater.com, type in the promo code BARRY, 
and get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine. And I Killed JFK, the documentary in the interviews about the only man in history to admit to killing JFK. The documentary is incredible. You love it. The interviews are insane with the last remaining living experts. Check it out, ikilledjfk.com. And lastly, my thanks to Wondery. Check out all the best podcasts in the world there at wondery.com. Thanks a lot, everybody. I've really enjoyed today. See you next time. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You'll get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same Pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.